Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic with Grant Writing and Funding, and I'm here to help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance mission. Now, that might be the mission of the nonprofit that you work at, or maybe the many different nonprofits that you work with if you're a freelance grant writer. All right, guys. So today, today we have a special interview with Mr. Timothy Butler, and he is going to talk about many things, actually, but one of the big things he's going to talk about today is CARES Act funding. So if you're still thinking about is there any money out there still from CARES Act funding? Yes, there is. And there's going to be some deadlines coming up to it soon on when different states and cities actually need to expend that money. And that means good news for you if you're looking to grab onto some of it, right? So we're definitely going to talk about, he's going to, Mr. Timothy Butler is going to explain today about where you can find some of the CARES Act funding, how you can apply for it, and kind of what some of the eligibility, ineligibility things are with CARES Act funding today. He's also going to go into his background about his recent transition into full-time freelance grant writing. It is a wonderful story. I think it's going to really, a lot of you guys are going to be able to resonate with his story. Um, But he's been writing grants for 15 years and has been able to secure a lot of money uh, for nonprofits. And right when COVID hit, he actually went full-time into freelancing. And I talk about this a lot as, yes, this is this is a sustainable job for a lot of people right now. Um, and it always has been. Freelance grant writing has always been a good industry to get into. So he's going to share his story about freelancing. And he's also going to share some really, really awesome golden nuggets about grant writing in general and what he does to help stand out and be competitive for writing grants. And then, of course, we're going to wrap it up with the CARES Act funding. So um, this interview, just to let you guys know, it does go a little bit longer than my normal ones, but it is truly worth sticking around and listening to. So I hope you enjoy this podcast episode as much as I enjoyed interviewing Mr. Timothy Butler. And it was also cool because it was actually um, semi-live. Like we had some people on the call with us too that stuck around and asked questions at the end. Um, So I just recorded the interview uh, part for you all today. But if you're interested in doing some more lives where we grab the podcast from it, just let me know. But in any case, I hope you enjoy this wonderful interview once again as it really, I think you're a lot of you will resonate with it. And no matter if you're a nonprofit or if you're an aspiring or already professional freelance grant writer, you're definitely going to get a lot out of this. Okay, without further ado, here is Mr. Timothy Butler. Awesome. Holly, thank you so much for having me. It is such a pleasure and an honor to be in the house. I am so glad. I mean, you know, I know that you and I have been very busy and we've been aiming to connect with one another. And it's so refreshing to finally actually have that opportunity. So I love it. And your hair looks really good, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) That was like the first thing you said when it came on. I was like, I like this guy. (laughs) It's laid, fried, and dyed to the side. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you got to do it on Zoom, right? (laughs) absolutely (laughs) that's awesome thank you so much but yeah and it's true we have been connecting and what I like is we've connected which I've connected with a lot of you guys out there who've been on the podcast or listened to it on LinkedIn 
And I think LinkedIn is one of those underrated places and it's becoming a lot more well-known professionals are getting out there. But if you wanna connect with grant writers, professionals, people in the nonprofit industry, people on foundations, people who give out money, go to LinkedIn, right? Don't you think that is such a powerful place? Yes, as a matter of fact, it, just to chime in and piggyback off of that. So I wanna give uh, two shout outs to my two grant writing mentors, Dr. Beverly Browning, the author of Grant Writing for Dummies. My gosh, she's been in the industry for over 40 years. She is an, an expert. Uh, and so just wanted to shout her out as well as Rodney Walker, president of Grant Central USA. I am a product of Grant oh, Central oh, USA. I did not know that. Yes, and so just so many things that I've learned from Rodney since the time we've been connected. And with, as, as it relates to LinkedIn, so Holly, I remember having the challenge as a freelance grant writer. Okay, I was saying to Rodney and some of my classmates during a session that we were having some time back, and I was saying, okay, I don't have the money right now. Like I don't have a thousand dollars to just spend on a really high definition, you know, high performance website right now. Mm -hmm. So with people who are just kind of really getting uh, some traction going, what are some things that we can do? And Rodney suggested, he told us about his story. I think he actually mentioned it when he was on your show about how his first ad was like in this remote little uh, directory. Um, it was nothing like LinkedIn. And he talked about that and he said it was effective, but LinkedIn is so much more effective. I mean, social media is a very powerful tool when you use it to get the results that you need. And LinkedIn, I have been so fortunate and so blessed to be able to connect with so many people. Some of the very people that are on this call tonight live with us are folks that I've been able to connect with on LinkedIn. So the fact that it is a free platform and that you can actually use it to build um, to your network and to meet new people and that sort of thing, it is an awesome resource. And I really think that sometimes people just, they maybe they devalue it or just don't know the value of it because they're just not fully aware or integrated, but it is definitely a game changer. Yes, absolutely. And I love that because that's actually where I connected with Dr. Bev and, and Rodney Walker as well. Because I, yeah, I know them and they're, they're awesome people. I've connected with you. I've connected with so many people on LinkedIn because I feel like um, Instagram is really powerful too, you know, different platforms. But I feel like LinkedIn, you just can kind of the DMs, like the direct messages are a little bit more authentic and you can connect a little bit deeper, right? So it's just yeah, it's a, such a good platform. And you're right, it's, you know, if you don't have a website yet and you're a freelancer or whatnot or a nonprofit, like just get your profile set up. It is a good place to start and it's absolutely free. So really wonderful. So before we get into our interview, I need to read your bio. So I'm gonna read your bio today. It's a wonderful, I love this. I love the description. So I'm gonna go ahead because people wanna know who you are. So let's give them a little taste of that. All right, so Tim Butler is founder and owner of Freelance Soul Professional services. And I love that name. It's so good. And it's an unapologetically black male owned grant writing and fundraising consulting firm. And I love that you use that word unapologetically. I'm like, yes, yes, you go boy. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. And it's headquartered in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the historic black Wall Street. And he specializes in working with individuals and entities from historically underrepresented communities and vulnerable populations. 
He has raised over a million dollars for startups, nonprofits, and social entrepreneurs through grants and corporate sponsorship. He's written grants for clients yielding them a return on investment as high as 35 to one. And I love that you put this because a lot of freelancers don't, right? So for that means for every dollar a client invests with you, you get a return of $35 per dollar, which is a pretty cool. I love that little pitch there. It's really nice. Um, so wink, wink, hint, hint for those freelancers listening out there. <laughs> this is a good marketing pitch as well. All right. So moreover, he's worked with startups and small nonprofits, helping them to secure the first ever grants and teaching them systems that create a consistent funding. You're also a certified nonprofit professional through the Historic Nonprofit Leadership Alliance, which is a huge uh, accredited institution. And you're a, so, a seasoned grant writer who's been in the game for 15 years with a nearly 94% success rate, which is great. It's, fan, it's huge. Like that's amazing. And you also received your community development certification from the Howard University Center for Urban Progress. And throw this in the mix. You're also a licensed minister and evangelist with a conservative Christian values that you also value diversity and inclusion, passionate about giving people a seat at the table who otherwise may never receive an invitation to the dinner. Welcome, Tim Butler. Like you're like amazing. I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to be here. I am a teacher at heart yeah. um, as a former educator and college tutor. I love to share what I know. I love people. I love to empower people with knowledge and information to help them accomplish their goals and their dreams in life to be the best that they can be and to add value to the world. Uh, yeah. So definitely, I'm glad to be here. Yay. All right. So let's go ahead and get started in your background a little bit before I know we're going to talk about CARES Act funding today. Um, but first, I just kind of wanted to go back because you like, you know, your, your bio says you're an evangelist, you've been working in different community organizations, you've been doing the nonprofit, uh, you know, grants and funding for about 15 years, which is the same as me, actually. So I'm a 15 year veteran. <laughs> so yeah, so I was like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, like what made you get started into, you know, like 15 years ago or 16 years ago? Like what was kind of like what called you into this work? Okay, so before I will go back a little bit further than sure. just the starting point, yeah. just because I feel like it's important to know the foundation and where mm -hmm. I come from. Mm -hmm. um, and that will kind of uh, give another lens to where we're going. But giving you the short version of the story, I um, I am the last of ten children. I'm the baby, oh, and wow. I was born. Yes, um, and I was born and raised in Columbus, Mississippi, mm -hmm. and um, and so growing up during the '80s and the '90s, there though it wasn't the same level of discrimination that my parents faced during the Jim Crow era of the South. Mm -hmm. I saw firsthand growing up a lot of disparities mm -hmm. um, as, as, as it related to people of color, as it related to women mm -hmm. uh, in, a, in, a, in a culture that kind of had micro aggressive uh, misogynistic overtones, if you will. Um, I, I saw quite a few things, even uh, immigrants and how they were mistreated. And these were things that I saw growing up. Um, and I would also even add to that I had a very... Growing up, I had a very close tie with the faith-based community, but the, the household I was raised in, my mother was the type of woman, and she still is to this day, she's a devout Christian, mm -hmm. but she raised all of her children to see the value and the humanity in all people, regardless of what background they come from, regardless of what faith they come from, because at the end of the day, 
they're still created in the image of Almighty God. And that's how she taught us. And so unfortunately, not in every case, but there were cases where I even saw mistreatment towards people from the LGBTQ plus community during those days as well. Um, and, and, and so I saw these things growing up and it gave me a heart to care for hurting people. So now let's fast forward. Um, I, I grew up um, very, I grew up poor. Um, I had a lot of love, but financially money was an issue in the house. And so I was always trying to be determined to rise above my circumstances and, um, and, and be empowered by that. And I faced a lot of challenges um, in, in, in high school and in school because I was from a single parent household because not because my mom, my parents were married. My father passed away when I was very, very, very young and my mother never remarried. Um, and so um, just those challenges being African-American, being an African-American male without fa a father figure and proper guidance and all of those different things, it really, you know, it, especially during critical times in my adolescence, I didn't have that voice to be able to go and talk to or connect with um, more oftentimes than not. So again, all of these things shaped my outlook. Fast forward, I was blessed with an opportunity to attend Howard University, which is one of the nation's largest historically black colleges and universities um, located in Washington, DC. This is the same um, um, college that uh, newly uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris also attended and graduated from as well. So we are fellow Bisons. And so um, I was just fortunate and blessed to connect with Dr. Linda Jones, who's one of my longtime mentors and friends. She had a program for um, the students. She was starting, she got recently connected with the nonprofit. Well, the Nonprofit Leadership Alliance used to be called the American Humanics Student Association before they changed the name. So this was 15 years ago, um, 15 plus years ago. And so um, just through a casual walk-in and as an undergraduate student trying to figure out my career path and future, um, I just was intrigued by this woman. She was so professional. She was so caring. She was so busy, but yet she took the time to listen to little old me, you know, and, and take the time to educate me on this opportunity because I, did, I, I didn't know as much about the nonprofit sector during those days. Um, fast forwarding from that, I would not only join the program and receive training, I would become our chapter president. Um, leading our fellow students. And I was about 20, 19 or 20 years old when I wrote my very first grant. And um, it was a one pager, Holly. And um, I was coached by Dr. Jones and it was to one of the departments, departmental heads at Howard. And it was to fund a required trip. It was mandatory that as part of our, um, our core competencies for this program, we had to be able to go at least one time during our undergraduate years to our annual conference for the special on-site training. And so I wrote a grant and was funded for $6,000 at the age of 19. I mean, so coming from my background, I was like, what? Is this a thing? You can write a piece of like a page and put all the little, you know, bells and whistles in it. And then people actually pay you money to do this. And I gravitated so much towards it. And I ran with it. 
Um, and so after graduating, I would uh, start my career in both education and nonprofit. And I worked for several organizations as an in-house grant writer, capital campaign clerk. You know, you can see quite a few of those on my LinkedIn profile. Did a lot of that, but unfortunately, um, through some of my experiences, politics, mm -hmm. especially those that go on behind closed doors, unfortunately got in the way. And, and I, I won't, I won't tell you my full tragic tale about some of those experiences, but I've, um, I have seen a lot of things. Um, sometimes, honestly, it has been in a faith-based community, unfortunately, whereas there's a facade. We look one way to the public eye, but behind closed doors, we're opposite of what we present ourselves to be. And I've seen the ugly side of it as well. And I've also experienced the devaluing um, and, and that sort of thing. All of that still, I, I was relentless and I kept pushing through. So here we are, it's late 2019. I feel urgent and led to really launch out into the deep, so to speak. But I feel led, I felt led to go ahead and launch out into the deep, Holly, and basically do more um, as far as freelance grant writing was concerned because historically I always just did it as a side hustle, but I wanted to push forward. Well, I was doing that while still working full time, um, had a great job. Um, I was a manager um, moving into a director's position. Getting, so I was in the midst of being promoted, um, had people that were underneath me. I was responsible for the whole night. COVID hits in March of, um, <clears throat> in March, it touched down the worst in Tulsa. And overnight, I lost my job. I lost uh, half of my household income. I had put all my eggs, if you will, in one basket, <clears throat> excuse me, in one basket. Yeah. And I had, my wife was pregnant at the yeah. time, and she still is. Uh, she's, we're getting ready to deliver in a couple of weeks here. And we have a little girl. Um, um, I had a, I have a two-year-old daughter. So mm -hmm. overnight, everything changed. The rug was literally pulled out from beneath me. And I think for three days, I probably walked around feeling like I was just in the twilight zone, not knowing what in the world happened and what I was going to do. I mean, during those days uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic, there was so many, there was not enough, that we didn't know as much. People were scared, they were panicking. You know, people were like, oh God, if I go outside, if I go to the mall, if I go to the grocery store, am I gonna die? Am I gonna bring this home to my kids? You know, they were saying you need to shower when you come in and go all these different things, yeah. um, you know, just to get the disease off of you to make sure you're not, you know, in mm -hmm. harm's way. And it was just so much on me at one point. My mom told me all the time growing up, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And so I had to make a choice. Either I'm going to just lay down and cry and die and have a pity party, or when my back is against the wall, I need to come out swinging. Well, I decided to fight. And so I started door dashing, Uber Eats, Postmates, doing everything I could. I literally, my wife was an essential worker. So thank God she still had income, even though mine had completely fallen out of the bottom. But um, essentially, we, she would come home and in the evening time, we would have 30 minutes of couple time. And then from there, I would be out from like the early evening to like three, 4 a.m. the next morning, delivering food 
trying to network and hustle just to keep the lights on, just to keep food on the table, just to take care of my wife and my daughter and my expected uh, you know, infant child. Um, and I was like, okay, I, I'm really working hard here. I gotta do something. And so I started to pursue my dream of the grant writing and the freelance. It wasn't easy. I have really put in a lot of hours. Some days it's been 16 plus hours. I have really busted my hump, so to speak, uh, really just putting in time. But being diligent, being consistent, offering quality uh, customer service, and in, with integrity, I cannot emphasize enough having integrity in our industry. People, you're gaining people's trust. And when you do that, that's not something that's easy to win. So when people give you their trust, you want to protect it with your life. And so being, being that, uh, having that type of rapport with my clients, I've really been blessed to build up to the level that I am and the sky's the limit from this point forward. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing that. I just, thank you for, for being so honest too. Right. And not trying to like scrub it up, but like you're being honest, like, no, this is what happened. Like, this is what I did. And you know, that's just, it's so transparent. And I think a lot of us, you know, as we went through COVID, right. Whether you're at a nonprofit or you're at a business freelance business, right. You know, as far as like what you had to do and what you did now, it going from just, you know, the COVID and you had to hustle and do all these different jobs. And now you say you step more into the freelancing. Are you now a hundred percent freelancing? Or are you still doing those other side hustles just to kind of get some income? I am 100% freelancing. I guess if you could put it, it would probably be 98 and 2% just because those other hustles, I have begun phasing them out yeah. just to keep up with the demands for my clients. Um, they, I, I really protect my clients at all costs and try to give them my best. So um, I have, I'm doing this full time. This is all that I do. Nice. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's such a, you know, I was telling a lot of, um, you know, people, I just had a freelance master course that started in September of 2020. And this is the thing I was saying is this work is sustainable, even in pandemics, right? Nonprofits, you guys out there, you need help writing grants. You still need money, right? You still need income coming in. So instead, you know, and a lot of you maybe learn that process too, but sometimes it's easier to hire out or to find grants and that cover it. And we can kind of talk about like what the CARES Act can actually cover for some of that as well. And, you know, to look at it like this is sustainable work. So I'm glad that you were able to have experience as a side hustle. So then you could transition into this because like you said, you know, the J-O-B maybe from before, that all your eggs are in one basket. And this is what people, they ask me a lot of times, they say, Holly, aren't you scared to be your own boss and to run your own company and there's so much risk? And I look at them and I say, to me, I have more control and a J-O-B is more risky because I, I can't control, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I can only control certain things even in my own company, but you know what I mean? Like if a J-O-B, you're depending on somebody else to provide an income for you. Whereas a freelancer, you can, you're, you know, you can aggressively go out and get clients and see clients and it's, it's your brand. Right. So I feel way more like protected, if you will. So I know that's another thing is you have some people that are aspiring freelancers listening in and even on um, grant writing and funding we do. And that's something to think about. Even if you open it up as a side hustle, it is something that can be a little bit more in your control. Is that kind of how you feel? Do you kind of feel a little bit more secure actually now? Or is there a certain transformation? 
Um, I do feel more secure. It, it, it is a different experience because I have a history of being an employee with aspirations to be an owner. Mm -hmm. um, but here's why I say that it's still, you're right in what you're saying and it's good. So here in Tulsa, uh, the George Kaiser uh, Family Foundation, uh, pretty much everybody uh, in the grant writing world knows Mm -hmm. multi-billionaire faceted George Kaiser. I mean, he does, <clears throat> excuse me, he does wonderful, wonderful work. His foundation um, does excellent work here in the Tulsa area. And then just, you know, in several other areas as well that they're connected to. One of the programs that was started through a, um, a, a business incubator program uh, that they have, they fostered this. Um, the program, the, the, the incubator program is called 36 Degrees North. Mm -hmm. But the program in itself is called Tulsa Remote. Oh, and what yeah. it does is it, 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 it's, it's capitalizing on the new trends in the marketplace where people are gravitating more towards uh, doing remote or virtual or online work versus doing it the old school way, the traditional nine to five, where you're physically having to go and be somewhere. Well, if you're in the midst of a pandemic, that option is just not going to be possible all the time. I mean, and then if you are able to even physically go to a job, you have to consider there's still now elevated risk associated with that and so forth. So I think that um, the Tulsa Remote Program was just a trailblazer in capitalizing on that even before the pandemic came down the pipeline. But now that it has happened, I mean, there have, I have come across like on a weekly basis, Holly, um, several studies or articles that talk about how the freelance um, and online employment industry has just skyrocketed. It's just boom. That is the future that we're headed towards. And, and, and some people are still kind of still trying to stick with the same old model, but you, you have so much more creative control over your product, your services, when you are able to work in this type of a capacity. And I'm gonna be honest with you, when you get a taste of it and you're successful at it, you don't wanna go back to the old nine to five structure. I mean, I have spent, I mean, God knows I've spent hours, I would do eight, 10 hour shifts on my feet all day long serving customers. And I, and I was glad about it. I did it with a, a good and positive attitude, but being able to actually pursue your heart's dream, your heart's passion, something that you're actually, that's closer to home for you and do it on terms that work for you, there's no comparison in my opinion. I agree. I, 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 I don't ever see myself going back, I mean, you know, intentionally to work for someone else. I feel like I'm really just starting to spread my wings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's even like when you're working with clients then, you know, or you if you take on, because sometimes they will hire you for a year as an employee to do something, but I always look at it like that's a client. It's not a job, it's a client, right? And there's some kind of end date and that's how I treat it. And it really works well for both parties, right? So I think that's another thing. I've even, um, you know, I let freelancers know this sort of what I do sometimes. If I see there's positions that different foundations or nonprofits are hiring for certain positions sometimes i'll apply for it but not as me as an employee as my company to do a contract mm -hmm. so that's been really helpful too and i've gotten um clients through doing it that way and because they kind of have the perception that they need an employee and i say when i see the scope of work of what they're looking for i say actually you just need a consultant to do this 
period. And then you don't have to worry about cash flow for years and years and years and keeping on an employee, right? But we can do a scope of work within a certain amount of time for you and get you a kind of a head, right? So sometimes that can also work, which is really, really cool, <laughs> you know, to kind of kind of change. And like you said, it's changing the lens. And COVID has definitely fast tracked. I remember when I had Dr. Uh, or Rodney Walker on um, the podcast before, and he was saying, this was before COVID. And he was saying, yeah, he goes, Holly, you know, by year 2025, we're going to see 50% of people in the workforce being freelancers. And I was kind of like, oh, that's really soon. I don't know. You know, that seems really aggressive. <laughs> now it's going to be more than that within that time frame. I think I saw something by 2050, it's going to be like 80%, very high. So we yes. are, you know, skyrocketing towards this kind of setup. So some of you, like, you know, like you said yourself, were kind of almost forced into the situation, but now you're like, hey, this actually works. It might work better for you and your family. You're having a young baby at home, right? Have, having hours that work for you. Um, so that could be something that's really interesting. But yeah, even, so how do you go about then? Because, okay, here's the other thing is, back in the day, before the COVID times, as a freelancer, I could go out and network at events, right? Yes, there's Zoom. Yes, there's different online um, conferences and that sort of thing. But what, how have you been able to kind of transition from that meeting clients face-to-face -face and getting networking in that capacity to now it being completely different? Like, what have you done to, you know, connect with more clients? Well, um, strategic, I will summarize it by saying strategic marketing. Um, again, going back to what I alluded to earlier, uh, using the power of the social network. Um, I do the bulk of my networking and advertising online um, there, but I, I have a strategy and that's the difference. Okay, so it, there's a, there's a famous theologian and he was a, a, a prominent international speaker and minister. His name was Dr. Miles Monroe, God rest his soul. He's an Oral Roberts University alum, just like I am as well. And so Dr. Miles Monroe had a saying um, that went like this. If you don't know the purpose of a thing, abuse is inevitable. So I go back to, you have, it's not just enough to have knowledge. What you need wisdom. Knowledge is just having information. Wisdom is knowing how to use that information to get desired results. So Ooh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> I'm going to put that on Instagram, so, by the way. <laughs> <In the quotes. laughs> so like what, what time uh, is this in the podcast? I'm going to go back. To <laughs> that's good. So. So I go back to, I have a strategic plan. Uh, for example, there are, instead of just putting, okay, I have about roughly 2,500 uh, friends on my personal Facebook page alone. So I get a lot of traffic when I put something out there. Depending on the algorithms and things like that, you know, I, certain things get more vis visibility than others. But what I've started doing, there are, like, if I have a sale, or if I know there's a particular package I'm going to do that caters to a certain audience more so than a different one, I'm going to strategically target places where those types of people in that particular group or audience hang out online. And then I'm gonna start a conversation. It, it, I, I actually did a, um, I, I did a, a, a workshop, I led a workshop about a week or so ago, and I talked about one of the major um, 
fails, the epic fails of novice grant writers. And um, I use the analogy, <laughs> you might laugh at this, Holly, but I use the analogy of Top Gun <laughs> and or like a machine gun. And so, you know, like when you're early into the grant writing field and you're still kind of, you know, getting your feet wet, so to speak, you have the temptation to think, okay, I'm going to write one grant pack uh, proposal and it's the best thing Everywhere. since sliced bread and yeah. shoot it out <laughs> over it. Every single, um, you know, grant, grant funder that's out there without doing any customization, without doing any fine tuning, tailoring, without doing the research behind the research, behind the research to really find out what's really going on and what are the interests of the funder. Yeah. So when you yeah. do that, historically, that has never worked. It just doesn't, it's just not effective. So I, I compared it to being more like the James Bond taking the sniper approach. You know, James Bond is so oh, precise. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, you know, he has his suit and he's moving and grooving. And then he gets to the point where he has the, the target in sight. Mm -hmm. He has his scope on them. He's waiting just for the perfect time to pull the trigger with his silencer and take them out. So you need to practice, we need to hit a bullseye. So you have to be thinking about how you're going to go about strategically um, writing grants and packaging yourself. So all of that said, I do that when it comes down to my networking. Um, it may be, be a surprise to some, but I don't just read grant writing books. Mm -hmm. I read mm -hmm. marketing books oh, because yeah. grant writing is nothing more than creative marketing in mm -hmm. written form. That's it. Yeah. I am literally trying to take my client, take everything that I know about him or her, present them in the best possible light and way in front of a funder, speaking the funder's language to say, funder, here's the person you need to fund to accomplish this thing that you want to see occur in your community. Mm -hmm. And without having the proper knowledge of who the funder is, what do they like, what they don't like, um, you know, what, what kind of money are they willing to give, um, what level of risk are they willing to take, mm -hmm. I do that hard work first before I ever put my client in front of them. Because when I can survey the land, so to speak, I know then how to package my client and spin their story. Because when I listen to my clients, they may have 10 good bullet points, but the one that's the golden goose may be number seven. And that's the one that's gonna resonate with funder A. But when I package and present them in front of funder B, it may be point number three. And I need to play that up strong. And I do that individually. I never just send out a blanket uh, mm -hmm. grant proposal because it's going to get rejected. I always take the time to finesse it and mm -hmm. do the due diligence of um, really making sure that this thing is really fine-tuned and tailored fit to this particular philanthropist. That's so right on. Yeah, I love that, how you do that and how you explained it. I like the James Bond thing. <laughs> I don't even know you're coming you're gonna <laughs> yeah and even uh kafara she says that's really good so yeah so um yeah i mean just doing that is so important and have you seen then throughout covid then right so the funding has kind of shifted a little bit in certain areas like what have you really seen change from the funding source side because we're still doing you're still connecting them strategically but maybe it's a little bit different now right you know what i mean 
Correct. Um, some of the things that I've noticed from 2019 going into 2020, where we are, um, the funding interests have changed. So like, I'll give you an example. Like, um, you know, I, I have experience uh, raising money through corporate sponsorship. Mm -hmm. And so let's look at some of the corporations. Well, in 2019, there were several corporations that, you know, they had environmental issues. They were focused on that. I think Starbucks was a part of that initiative. Um, and then there were other companies that, you know, just had various focus focuses, if you will. So this year, amid the, the civil unrest, mm -hmm. the pandemic, mm -hmm. the George Floyd murder, the Ahmaud Arbery mm -hmm. murders, um, there were people in corporate positions who before didn't get it, but now get it, Holly. Yeah. And so when they started to get it, I mean, you can't unsee something like that, mm -hmm. the knee, you know, mm -hmm. just those kind of horrific uh, visuals being played out in, on Main Street in front of everyone. I mean, you no matter however you feel about it, that is a human life yeah. that's been taken mm -hmm. away before your very eyes. And people began to get it. So they started to shift their interest to empowering those that were disadvantaged and you know, trying to address some of these social um, issues and ills in our society. So, and so that has been a kind of a microcosm. Mm -hmm. And so all of those things have happened, but then even let's touch on the CARES Act funding. So you have a response from the social sector, but then you also have a response from the government in itself. Yeah. And so with that, you have the pandemic. So there's health issues and all sorts of other things. But even in the midst of that, there's still um, disparities. And so they're trying to address this. So with, when President Trump signed the CARES Act into law uh, to basically send that level of funding down the pipeline, you, that was a floodgate of billions of dollars that were now being pumped into the economy that was being pumped essentially into the grant writing space. Now, you and I know that there was always money in the grant writing space, but to have an influx where there were billions of dollars now being pumped into it, that in and of itself is an anomaly. I mean, it is that's that just doesn't happen normally. And so um, the unique thing about it was is that there, as the, the act was created, and I know that there was some, you know, criticisms that it was kind of a rush thing. And I mean, but you also have to consider the dire circumstances and trying to get that funding out. So I know that it wasn't a perfect process, but even in the midst of that, Holly, there were still um, funds that were allocated down the line at the federal level the state level, to some degree, even regional levels, and then at the city and county levels. And so here's another thing that I also want to add. Most people, when they think, when they hear the CARES Act and they think about funding, they tend to think, well, I know about the PPP. I know about the EIDL. I know about all of those loans. And I'm like, great, that's only one pot of the money you do know that there's another pot that is earmarked for for-profit uh, small business owners as well as nonprofits that has absolutely nothing to do with the PPP and the EIDL. And there was like, no, I didn't know that. And I'm like, yes. And so that is why I, I, I preach this so much, if you will, to people that, hey, these opportunities are here. Now, the, the unique thing about this situation is 
with the CARES Act funding, Holly, um, the money has already been allocated, but one of the stipulations that the various entities that got the money from the federal government, whether they were at the state level, county, city level, you name it, they were given a stipulation that if you take this money, number one, you have to give it all away, okay? You do your administrative thing, but you have to give it all away to the people. And then number two, you have to give it away, many of them by the November 15th deadline. Mm -hmm. um, and so what's happening is, is that there are several that um, have given their funds out and exhausted them. And then there are many that have not. And so some are asking for extensions. Others are just trying to hurry up at the last minute, if you will, and give it away. Um, because if they don't give this money away, Holly, by the deadline, and again, all of them don't have the November 15th deadline. It's a little, there are some variation, but many of them do. If they don't give all of that, those funds away by that deadline, they're going to be out of compliance with the federal government. And then there's consequences for that. So they're trying to do that. So what's happening is now with with the newly elected, uh, you know, Democratic, uh, uh, you know, you have Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Well, there's been some press releases that have come out and this, there's also been some discussion you know, things are starting to get better, but we're still not out of the woods when it comes to the pandemic, you know? So they're looking at, we still need another stimulus package to come down. So there's some talk about that in Washington right now. Um, but even if that doesn't happen until 2021, this pot of funds is already here and available now and it's for the taking. Mm -hmm. I know of a colleague who actually got um, who applied for a $25,000 grant offered at the county level and she got it and she was notified in three days, Holly, wow. that she was awarded. <laughs> now you and I know you don't find out when we write grants, you don't find out in three days that you were awarded a grant in maybe three months, but not three days. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that is incredible. Mm -hmm. I've heard so many stories like this and this money is there and it's available. People just don't know about it. And this is why it's my job to share this information with them so that they can get their slice of the pie. And ultimately they have a need. We all have been impacted by the pandemic. So why not use these funds to build up your businesses or build up your nonprofits, put more resources back into the community so that we can get back to a normal or new normal. So. Right. No, that's great. And we're, okay, so let's get into the nitty gritty of it. Um, so if you're looking for some additional funding, like I go on the CARES Act page, you know, like looking at different things and I see there's still the PPP. I still see there's might be some, you know, funding for this or that. A lot of it's run through the government. So here I, I'm actually on the island of Guam, right, which is a U.S. and unincorporated territory. And I know we've gotten CARES Act funding through our state government, right? So our state government, they have a certain amount of funding and we've been pushing, um, I'm also on the Guam Women's Chamber of Commerce and we've been pushing for a lot of business and nonprofit grants and they kind of have to fund it through their own administration. And they said one of the things that have been tying up from funding uh, nonprofits because they've been able to fund businesses pretty easily um, through the Economic Development Authority, but they said the nonprofits has just been funded up because or held up a little bit because of the talk. There's some language in the CARES Act, and they're just making sure that they're going to spend it right, right? You know what I mean? So there, I think a lot mm -hmm. of it's the state government, city governments are they're unclear about the they want to make sure that they follow the eligibility factors 
of the CARES Act. So have you kind of stumbled on any of that yet? Have you seen how nonprofits can aggressively get this or bypass some of the state? Can they bypass the state government? Can they apply directly? Like, can you kind of talk about the hows? It, it is, uh, yes, I can. Great. So just to kind of be clear about it, the bulk of the funds that are left, as far as that which I have seen, if I could quantify it, I would say about 80% of that money is earmarked or targeted for small business owners. Mm -hmm. Roughly 20% is targeted towards nonprofits. So um, the, the for-profit side dominates by far yeah. because uh, they're trying to, again, pump life back into the economy, so to speak, in that sense. Um, however, with that 20%, there are programs that are out there. It really just varies. Um, because this is the unique position with this particular pot of money. Mm -hmm. There's no one place that you're going to just be able to go to that says, here's a list of everything we have. That'd be nice. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, it would be nice. Yeah, I mean, there's no foundation center right. for this, you yeah. know, or there's no grants.gov for this because of the nature of the crisis mm -hmm. and the nature of the way this has been administrated down. So you have to get your inspector gadget on. You have to, you know, you got to go and get your, your magnifying glass and you got to go on the hunt and you got to search for it. Um, because there are so many different agencies, some of them are government affiliated, obviously, and some are independent uh, community development corporations mm -hmm. that have been, they, they've received CARES Act funding and they have been authorized through a local government body or whomever to give out this money on their behalf. But then it, you got various agencies that have the funds, but then you also have different criteria because one agent, okay, I'll give you an example. There's some of the programs I've seen. There's a program that I know of that targets um, because of the, the, the pandemic and people having to switch from doing, going, let's say the school aspect, you have kids going online, virtual schooling and things like that. Well, some families can't afford that because now what if you didn't have Wi-Fi at home before? Now you have to have a designated internet source in order to, for your kids to go to school. So there are some groups that are targeting that while there are other groups that are targeting, um, you know, independent nonprofits or targeting like rental back payments. I saw a program in San Francisco um, recently that they would pay the landlords like something like $3,000 just so um, they wouldn't um, uh, evict the uh, tenants. And then you have other agencies that are targeting businesses that have had financial loss in the midst of the pandemic. I mean, and the list just continues to go on and on and on. There's so many different needs that the pandemic has caused that all of these different agencies are trying to address. Mm -hmm. Some more on a personal level, some more on a business level, but the needs are nevertheless still there. So it's not a one size fits all shoe, so to speak. You have to be diligent and go about looking for them. But you just have to and you have to look at look for them in your state, because mm -hmm. what's in Oklahoma is not going to be the same thing that's in Pennsylvania. And what's in Pennsylvania is not going to be the same thing that's in North Carolina or Hawaii or California or Texas or New York. It's just going to vary. Um, but you just have to be diligent to look for them. 
Great. No, that's helpful. And then even what I've seen is um, like, I like what you're talking about, like they're looking at the need and that's why it's administered state by state or city by city or county by county, right? So even the state then could disperse to counties because your counties are going to vary, right, in these larger states. So in looking at that, what I've actually seen are groups advocating for monies, right? And I think that's something people can continue to do or if they're not doing already, right? So like, for instance, here on Guam, there was a big need to actually do a survey, right? We need to do a survey. So some of the CARES Act was able to, a group had, you know, a university had advocated that with another part, private partnership, private public partnership, and they were able to get some of the money, right? So I think part of it too is if you put together a proposal and you put it, you know, our grant, right, almost like a grant, and you submit it, right, to your county or to your state, you can try to advocate too for them to think creative. Because like you said, this is speed to market. That's what the CARES Act funding is all about, getting that money out quickly. How efficient or inefficient that is, it's, it's, it's just speed to market is the main thing behind that and we understand that so advocating on behalf of your organization or if you're in a nonprofit umbrella right could be another thing where you advocate like we need specific funds for this and if you put something together it's just going to help the the county or the state right because they're just so overwhelmed with trying to pump it out and get it to the right places where if you can say this is what we need it for it almost makes it easier for them have you seen some of that as well like the advocacy part on nonprofits to Kind of. Well, I'm sorry. Yes, I do. I, I have. Um, there are some groups that have been advocating, but then I do some of that myself. Mm -hmm. I just do it not maybe not on a, um, uh, I guess, a larger political scale, if you will, at least mm -hmm. not to this degree. But I'm advocating um, by I call it romancing the funder. <laughs> I have a way. I, I have a little coin phrase for everything. So um, I like your references um, to movies because that reminds me of romancing the stone, like back in the day. Right now. So for me, what advocacy looks like is again, I'm going to survey the land. I'm going to check out. I'm going to make a list and check it twice, so to speak. And um, and so I'll have a client in um, in mind. Uh, I have several, and so I'm look when I go to one person's profile, I look at their profile. I'm like, okay, I need th this is what they're trying to do. Let me find in CARES Act funding how I can best spin this story. Mm -hmm. and, and, and 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 I will. Um, let me pause there for a second. It goes back to marketing. Yeah. Years ago, when I was a student at Howard University, I was a part of an organization called EPP, Industry Power Players, and it was for students who were interested in the entertainment field. Now, I come from a musical household. Um, um, Ambassador Senior Pastor Kerry knows this. And I, I grew up in a very musical household, musical family. And my older brother is a, a, a gospel recording artist and a minister of music. My mother sings, my grandmother sang, I sing, my wife sings. Gospel music was my foundation. So because I knew it so thoroughly when it came down to entertainment and I had this marketing interest, I wanted to pursue it with gospel music. So with all of that being said, I used to write like PR uh, releases for gospel superstars. One of them that I worked with was Tone A. 
he was huge oh, wow. in those days. I mean, it, you know, just, he was just, and you know, that experience was just phenomenal. And then, you know, just being tied into some of the camps with Kirk Franklin and Trinity 5-7 and other um, noteworthy gospel artists who've been around for years. I mean, it was just a phenomenal experience for a little small town boy like me to have that. Um, but I was one of the things that I learned at working on the promotions team for Tone's Out the Box album was you've got to learn how to spin it. I had the task of being like, spin your story. I had the task of like reaching out to several news media outlets. Well, you have to entice them to come. You can't just say, well, we're having a concert. You know, hey, come on, give us some footage. No, you have to know something about what they need. They're looking for stories, but what kinds of stories are they looking for? How can you give them what they need? And then when you can give them the bait, mm -hmm. then they'll come and they'll record. So I use that same technique when it comes down to a lot of my grant writing and the advocacy that I do. That's why I feel like it's so effective because I actually take the time to sharpen my tools. I'm working smarter, not harder. I'm not just aiming blind. I'm not shooting in the wind. I'm actually taking the time to study, if you will, as the saying goes, to show myself approved mm -hmm. so that I can go out and get results. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So you're basically looking and saying, okay, what do they still have maybe money in the pot for? Um, and Chanel says that it's excellent. <laughs> so yeah, so what what is what's there still left, right? Because that's part of it too. Once again, it's speed to market. We know they need to spend these funds. So hello, like let's get some of these funds for our nonprofits, right? So you're kind of looking and saying, okay, what do they need? What areas do they need to still spend? Or maybe they just have this money, but I know they need to spend it on X, Y, and Z would be eligible. So how can I position this nonprofit to access some of that? And do you just apply directly to that source then? Are you monitoring all the different like, you know, um, government websites in your state or your state websites? Like where are you kind of going to get this information and where can people kind of, I know they have to dig, but do you have some kind of blanket, you know, ideas um, of where they can look? It's going to sound strange or maybe even elementary, Google.com is one of the best places to go. You just have to do quality query searches. Right. So you can't like search in uh, some search strings that you would look for. Here's one that I did that I got a lot of hits. This isn't the only one, but one of them. Um, CARES Act funding still available in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. If you do that, you're going to find a, a list of different programs. Now you may have to sift through the weeds, oh, yeah. but you'll be able, you know, you're going to have to read a little bit, but, and go through the links, but you will find it. You'd be amazed at what you can find for free just by looking on Google. Now I also have several subscription services through, you know, um, you know, networks that I've developed over the years. So I get some hits where some colleagues may say, Hey, have you seen this? And then others may say, you know, hey, we just wanted to give you this bulletin here. So I have some of those available as well. But by far, Google is free and it's it's just right there. You just have to know how to search. Do some keyword searches um, in your specific county. If you're going to search, search at the federal level. Mm -hmm. CARES Act funding that's still available or COVID-19 impact grants. That's another mm -hmm. one. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Then do it at your state level, mm -hmm. okay? Then do it at your county level. Mm -hmm. Then do it at your city level. 
and then do a regional search just to make sure there aren't any regional bodies that are still giving out funds. And then also look at do that. That's just for the government or the public funding. Then do it for private fund, funding sources as well. Look at it from corporations and other companies, other private foundations. So you have all of those. Those are like seven different searches. So yeah, it's gonna take a little bit of time, but you would be amazed at what you would find. And then here's the other thing you need to remember. Let's say you go on Google and you're looking for something for your for-profit or your nonprofit, and it says, well, the funds are exhausted. Well, that's for now, but several of these programs have um, multiple funding rounds, guys. Right. So right. you need to understand that just because the money is gone for round one, round two is still coming down the pipeline. Remember, I mentioned they're still looking at talking about doing another stimulus package. Mm -hmm. So that, and then some of these organizations are asking for extensions. So that means you can expect reasonably a round two and maybe even a round three of funding. You just have to check back daily and, you, and be diligent about it so that you can get in the mix because when, when it comes down the pipeline, People are in need. They're looking for this. It's going to go fast. So the early bird is the one that's going to get the worm. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I like that reminder, like go back, right? Because, and the other thing too, is they don't know maybe that they're going to get more funding right now, but a lot of them set up new systems, right? So for another example, we had a, um, the, the uh, development authority, right? The economic development authority, they actually set up a process for the pandemic small business grants, right? So if there's more money that's released, you know, we're like, just put it, push it through there again. <laughs> You already set it up. You already spent the time. You already have your review process. You know how to process it. So I think you are going to see, even if it switches up a little bit in the scope, right? It's the administrative side, as you all probably have seen, right? That's That's been kind of the slow part of this is some states, you know, they didn't have certain computer systems set up to even give out certain funding. And, you know, so now that they have those things developed, it makes more sense to push the funding through those same administrative processes again even if it's for a different scope of work. So, or expand it or something like that, right? So, but I love that, like, you know, do the keywords because that's the thing. There's, like you said, there's not a um, caresact.com funding, like here's all the grants and like, maybe there will be at some point, right? Because of right. how long this, you know, we need to keep putting money into the economy. But right now, Google going to the, the state websites, connecting, calling people, you know what I mean? Like getting in and just seeing like what is available. And also the other thing, and I'm sure you do this, um, would be advantageous is to for others to follow certain city governments on their social media. Right. So because like you said, they have to pump up the, up the money. So they're going to be releasing when there's RFPs requests for proposals or grants available or funding available. Right. So they need to make it accessible to the public. And so they'll be publishing in the newspaper. They'll be publishing on social media. So those are always uh, great places too, and, I, you know, that we've been able to catch some of the funding going by, too, um, which has been fantastic. But yeah, it, it is it takes a process. And I'm glad that you're able to offer that process. So people are able to get a hold of you as well. And I know we're going to be wrapping this up soon so we can open it up to the Q&A for the people who are on the line right now. But people can also access you, right, to be able to do this. You're, you're taking clients right now to help find CARES Act funding to get it out to them, et cetera. 
Um, and yes. yes, that's awesome. All right. So where can people find you if they're interested in, in that service? The easiest way that you guys can connect with me is on LinkedIn. If you go to linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash freelance soul. Remember, my company is Freelance Soul Professional Services. You can go to my direct website. You can also just do a search for Tim Butler, Tulsa, Oklahoma. It will take you to my page. Now, I want to say this also um, for those who are listening. I have a blog um, that I have on my page and I'm updating it and I write new articles and entries and um, Holly actually asked that I do something for the CARES Act funding, but because I've been so diligent looking for funds for my clients, I haven't had the time to sit down and actually write up an article on what I'm sharing with you tonight, but expect a lot more articles, um, stories that are points of interest for funding and things like that. I'm gonna have quite a bit of that more. So I okay. want you to connect with me, send me a connection request so that we can start a conversation. Um, another thing is, is some of you may want to target uh, or go after this on your own, but you don't have to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. Um, some of you just know that I don't have the time to do all of those searches. I mean, I, I'm busy enough just trying to keep, you know, doing what I'm doing, you know, my, 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 my thing, uh, my side hustle or my main project, you know, I just don't have the time. I would rather pay someone else who knows how to do this and let them take over that and do that for me. Well, that's where I come in at. Um, so connecting with me, one of the things that I am doing this month at, it actually is I have a Black Friday sale going on, guys. And um, Holly has the ad and it may be available once you download the podcast, I think so. But for $1,000, I am going to write three grant package, uh, three grant proposals for you valued up to $25,000 each. No more than that, because I don't want to get into the multi-million dollar grants. You'll have me working all day long for that. But I can do some small grants for like 25K, okay? Mm -hmm. That's the potential for you to pay $1,000 and earn $75,000. And also built into that project or that package is a strategic planning session with me because you may not know the ins and outs. You may not know some of those new tax laws and some of the new determinations um, and how to strategically set your organization up to maximize output and also maximize funding. I do because I've done this for 15 years for other clients and I will do the same for you. Um, so connect with me. Um, send me a message. Let's talk about it. Um, I'll work with you. Um, but I only have 10 slots available. All right, you guys. So be sure to jump on those 10 slots, which are already filling up pretty quickly, I imagine. I'll go ahead and I'll have that in the show notes as well under grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 144. Thank you for that, Tim. It was really great to hear some of your background, Tim. Thank you so for sharing and being so transparent and honest. And then also the goods and the expertise behind the CARES Act funding, which can help impact all of you guys um, in some way or another. So that's really huge because it's just not being talked about. You know, we're hearing mostly just small business side, although like, yeah, you know, you might be able to um, tap into that for small business, but, you know, really knowing how to tap into it as a nonprofit is they're wanting to give this money out. We need to be aggressive and get it right. So, but to know Know how to do that in the smart way and Tim Timothy can definitely help you get there. So once again, thank you so much for tuning in and thank you for all your time 
today. And thank you, Timothy, for all of your expertise and knowledge. I appreciate it. Thank that. you, Holly, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. And Tim Butler, if you want to go ahead and get all of the links to the show notes, go ahead and visit grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 144. And if you love this episode, please do subscribe to the podcast, Grant Writing and Funding, and leave a review on iTunes or any of your podcast listener player that you do listen to. All right, guys, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.